It's so good to see you and be with you this morning. Thanks for hanging out with me for a little while. Leviticus chapter 23 this morning. We're going through a worship series in Leviticus chapter 23. And let's just remind ourselves of a few things as far as an overview, that the first 17 chapters of Leviticus point the way to God, and then chapter 18 through the rest of the book, chapter 27, points us to the worship of God. And so we can learn about our worship of God even today as New Testament Christians by studying the book of Leviticus 23, looking at God's appointed times. We started out with the Sabbath several weeks ago, and then we started in on the spring feasts, Passover, unleavened bread. Today will be the feast of first fruits, and then next week, Pentecost, or the festival of weeks. Then after that, we'll look at the fall festivals, the festival of trumpets, the feast of atonement, and the festival of tabernacles or shelters. So today we are in Leviticus 23, and we're going to begin at verse 9. And I'd like you to actually follow along with me if you have the Bible there handy for you as I just read verses 9 through 14 of Leviticus 23. And again, this is the festival of first fruits. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them when you enter the land that I'm about to give to you and you gather in its harvest, then you must bring the sheep of the first portion of your harvest to the priest. And he must wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for your benefit on the day after the Sabbath, the priest is to wave it. On the day you wave it, you wave the sheaf, you must also offer a flawless yearling lamb for a burnt offering to the Lord, along with its grain offering, two-tenths of an ephah of choice wheat flour mixed with olive oil as a gift to the Lord, a soothing aroma, and its drink offering, one-fourth of a hen of wine." You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until this very day, until you bring the offering of your God. This is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all the places where you live. At the appointed time, Israel was to acknowledge in their hearts and confess before witnesses that the fruits of their labor was a gift from God who is the source of all material and spiritual wealth. First fruits mark the beginning of the harvest with the expectation of more to come. But it wasn't just bringing that first portion and saying, God, this is yours. It was consecrating the entire harvest as well as themselves to God. You see, the presentation of first fruits acknowledged a living relationship between the people of God and God himself in virtue uh, by which they gratefully received from God all that they had and all that they enjoyed and solemnly again dedicated both it, the harvest, as well as themselves to the Lord. I want to divide this message this morning up into sort of two parts, sort of our part or the people of God's part in this, and then what we see 
as far as our God in all of this and why we worship him and, and the, the foundation for our worship, the fuel for our worship, the motivation or inspiration for our worship. So interesting, Nicole, as she was praying, was talking about hearing God's voice. And the very first thing I was going to say is in verse 9, notice the Lord spoke to Moses. Do you realize that this divine formula, like I, I like to say, is found over 30 times in the book of Leviticus? The Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. Moses heard God's voice. You and I can hear the voice of God today. Whether it's through his word, whether it's through his spirit who lives in us, whether it's through another Christian who's speaking to us, we can even hear God's voice in creation if we look at it and observe it. There's so many different ways that God can speak to us, but the primary thing I want to encourage us with and challenge us all with today is to make sure we are hearing the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. So we've got to make sure that we are sort of tuning in to God's voice, that we are blocking out other distracting voices in our life so that we can truly hear his voice above all other voices. There's several things here that the Israelites, the people of God, were to do. But notice very interestingly, unlike all the other festivals we're going to look at, this festival was contingent upon something. They were not to celebrate this festival, notice verse 10, until they entered the land, which meant, if you think about this, there was a whole generation that still had to die and wander around the wilderness before this was actually celebrated, not in Moses' day, not with the generation that came out of Egypt, at least the older generation that died in the wilderness. This was not celebrated until Joshua brought the people into the land. Why? Because you and I cannot celebrate the gifts of God if we've not received the gifts of God. And many of those gifts are not only appropriated by grace, but they are also appropriated to God's people by faith. And if we are not stepping out in faith, if we are not believing the things that God says, I have this for you, but you got to get it by faith, and we still are not believing in him, then we're not going to receive it, and therefore we're not going to be able to celebrate it. You and I may have things that God says, hey, I've got this for you out here. And because God said, notice, speak to the Israelites and tell them when you enter the land, not if. <laughs> there was never going to be a question that eventually they were going to get there. Why? Because God says, I'm giving it to you. Now, that one generation missed out because they did not believe. But finally, there was a generation of the people of God that said, we will believe you, God, as a community of believers. We will trust what you have for us. We will step out in faith so that we can not only receive what you have for us, but after receiving it, we can celebrate it. We finally step into that land flowing with milk and honey that was always there for 40 years, but it took the unbelief of this generation to die out before this group of people could enjoy it. I wonder, as we each sort of 
look at ourselves and our own lives even individually, not just corporately. Is there something out here that God says, I've got this for you. I'm willing to give this to you, but you've got to appropriate it by faith. And until you're willing to truly trust me and step out in faith, you can't receive it. And if we haven't received it, then we can't celebrate it. So much of the Christian life and so much of even our worship of God, our celebration of God, and the things God is doing in our life is because we're willing to step out in faith. And I wonder so many times if that's one of the reasons why our worship as God's people isn't as energetic, enthusiastic, even as great, as, as, as constant as it could be or should be because we're not really living by faith and therefore we're not receiving the things that God has for us and therefore maybe we don't really have as much to celebrate as we could if like the Israelites, we just took God at his word and said, God, we're going after you and what you have for us so that we can not only receive what you have for us, but so that we can worship you because of it. When you enter, so the first thing is you got to enter. Is there somewhere or someplace or something that you and I as a church or as individuals, we need to get to in order to receive what God has for us? You enter. Second, you gather. He says, when you enter the land that I'm about to give it to you, and then you gather in its harvest, then you must bring the sheaf of the first portion of the harvest to the priest you got to enter the land or enter where God wants us to be. Then we've got to put forth some effort and gather in the harvest. God says, I'm going to give it to you, but that doesn't mean you and I sit back passively. As Mike was talking about, Christian life is not a spectator sport. It's a participatory thing. We're going to talk more about that. But they had to gather the harvest, which then implies the fact that they had to, once they got to the land, they had to work the land, they had to till the soil, they had to prepare the soil, they had to plant or sow the seeds. We talked about that even Wednesday night in our Bible study. They had to put forth some effort too. But if they did, God promised them, I'll give you a harvest. But you got to gather it in. You and I have to do our part. It's not just entering and being in the place and go, okay, I'm, I'm here, God. Now, I'm just going to let you do the rest. Even once we get to the place we should, we've got to put forth what we can do, and then God then joins us more than, than enough to be able to then start to see the fruit and harvest of, of where God wants us and what God wants to bless us with. That's all part of the concept of first fruits. And again, it marked the beginning of the harvest with the expectation of more to come. In other words, this is just the beginning, but I got more for you. Wait till you see what comes next, God is saying. And this concept of first fruits is actually a concept or principle that you and I find throughout the Bible. Jesus after he resurrected, is called the first fruits of all those now who will be resurrected. Why? Because he was the first one to ever rise from the dead, never to die again. You see, even those that God raised before Jesus, they all had to die again. You see, they had to go through death a second time. 
But Jesus was the first one that would rise from the dead and conquer death, never to die again. So he became the first fruits. Guess what? You and I then will be those who are resurrected later on because of Jesus' resurrection. The early church, the first Christians, Book of Acts were called the first fruits of the church. Why? Because there was more like us to come. See? Even you and I who are alive today, we're called the first fruits of all that he created, the Bible says. Why? Because God has more for us and more for all those who believe in him. God's just getting started, right? The best is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is called the first fruits. Why? Because his presence in our life is the guarantee or the pledge, Paul said, of more to come. So you see this concept of first fruits throughout the Bible. But you and I have to enter. We have to be where God wants us to be and trust in his word and put ourselves there. Otherwise, we'll never receive all that God has for us, and we'll never be able to celebrate it if we don't receive it. And we've got to gather it in. Then, look at verse 11 and 12. Then you must bring the sheaf of the first portion of the harvest to the priest, verse 11. He then will wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for your benefit. The priest, in a sense, was just sort of examining to make sure that the sheaf was acceptable. By the way, that was just a bundle of stalks of grain that were tied so that they could stay together. Then he would wave it before the Lord. Then on the day after the Sabbath, the priest is to wave it. By the way, this was taking place the day after the Sabbath. That's part of why Jesus resurrected the day after the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. Jesus rose from the dead as our first fruits on Sunday, which is why then the early church started meeting on Sunday to celebrate Christ's resurrection and the fact that he is the first fruits of all of us who will one day be resurrected. But then don't miss this. It wasn't just the priest that was to wave the offering. On that day, verse 12, then you and I, the people of God, were to wave the sheaf as well. Going to get a little physical here. Why did God want the offering to be waved? Well, first of all, let me say this. When you study worship of God, especially in the Old Testament, there was a physical nature to it. God never meant for us as his people to sort of, as many modern Christians and modern churches do, we come, we sit for most of the time, which I'm glad we don't do that here, and, and that we just sort of are entertained by the professional worshipers up on a stage. That's not worship. Worship is everybody participates, 
and that there's a physical nature to it. We're, we're doing something. We're lifting up our voices. We're raising our hands. We, we might be falling prostrate on, on the ground. We might be bending a knee. But there's physical stuff going on. So when they brought the offering, they were to wave it, which meant they had to lift it up, and they had to wave it. And they waved it in every direction, and they waved it like this. Why were they doing that? Because they were saying, God, this is a blessing from you. This is all because of you. And, and that I'm acknowledging that, that it's all because of you that we have what we have. Everything that we have, everything we are is coming from you, God. And we are acknowledging it and we are pouring our thanksgiving and gratitude for what you have placed in our hands back on you, God. The wave offering. So I would say today to you and me, do you have anything to wave before the Lord today? Do you have something or someone that you would say, Lord, I want to lift them up or I want to lift that up to you and say, God, thank you. They are such or this is such a blessing to me. And God, I know it came from you or they came from you. And God, I am lifting them up before you and I am waving them before you. And I'm saying, God, this thing, th this person, whatever, it is from you, God. And I thank you for that or I thank you for them. The wave off. But then it doesn't stop there. As part of the festival of first fruits, God said in verse 12, you must also offer a flawless yearling lamb for a burnt offering to the Lord, along with its grain offering, two-tenths of an ephah of choice wheat flour. Notice the words flawless in relationship to the lamb and choice in relationship to the flower. In other words, these were offerings of great worth and value. It wasn't just, I'm giving God the least, or I'm giving God the leftovers, or I'm just giving God sort of the, the skim, if you will. No, no. I'm going to give God to acknowledge him and his place in my life, and the fact that everything I have anyway, and everything that I've ever been given, and everything that I am, all is because of him anyway. Without him, I have nothing, and I am nothing. So I'm going to give God my best. Oh, and I'm going to do it with, notice at the end of verse 13, wine. Because wine speaks of doing it with joy, joyfully. Isn't that what Paul said to even the New Testament Christians in 2 Corinthians when he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Not someone who's offering their worship sort of grudgingly or, well, I'm, I'm going to church or I'm doing my worship or I'm praising the Lord because I know I have to. No, no, it's out of a heart of we want to. In fact, I can't wait till I get opportunities to worship God and praise him and adore him and, and show him how thankful I am for all that I am and all that I've been given the best. Isn't that what David said when he said, I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that cost me nothing. If I'm going to give it to the Lord and it's going to be for the Lord, it's going to be the very best that I can give. Let me ask all of us this morning, 
a sort of sobering and challenging question. How much does our worship of God cost us today? How much of our worship of God cost us today? What real sacrifice are we making in order to worship our God every day and even maybe as Christians a couple times a week as we come together? And yet in much of our Christian culture, it's a matter of convenience. God, I'll worship you when it's convenient to fit into my schedule. I'll serve you, God, when it fits into, when I do everything I want to do, and then if I've got enough time or enough, then I'll put you in. God, I'll go to church if I have nothing else that's in play here, but, but God, you don't get first fruits. You get what's left. After I've given my best to everything and everyone else, then I'll offer what I've got left to you. That's not worship. Worshiping, worshiping God is offering what is of greatest worth and value. And if we're truly worshiping God as a community of believers and even as individuals, it costs us something. There's going to be a sacrifice involved, just like there was in Moses' day. And yet, if our heart is where it should be, we're going to do it with wine. We're going to do it joyfully, because we're going to want to do it, not simply because we have to. In fact, notice 14, verse 14. God says, you must not eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until the very day you bring this offering before your God. God, we've waited all season for this stuff. It's right in front of us. We're wanting to get into it. God says, create an atmosphere, an environment, the soil of your heart to where before you partake of anything, you pause to be thankful for it and to create a, an environment of thankfulness and gratitude around all that you get before you plow into it and begin to enjoy it. That's so important, even for us as Christians. How many of us still as Christians make sure that before we eat our meals that we pause and thank God for the food and even for the strength and the health and whatever to be able to go out and, and to, to, to work a job and to provide and to provide for that food? Do we pause as Christians to make sure that before we eat and partake of the blessings and the good things of God that we acknowledge this is all from his hand that we are enjoying? I'm not giving kudos to me today when I say this. I'm giving I'm giving props to my parents who are now in heaven. But, but one of the things I remember as a very young child growing up that stuck with me is that my parents were sticklers to teach me as a young child that, Jeff, if anyone ever hands you something or gives you something or you receive something from someone besides the Lord, you make sure that before you receive it and you take it and you walk away, that you tell them thank you for it. 
I mean, my, that was like, that was drilled into me. But I'm glad. And listen, I'm not as thankful as I should be, but I, I appreciate having parents that realize I, I want to create in, in our son and in our home an environment of, of where we stop and pause and where we would receive things, we stop and thank God for it. Because so often, even as Christians, we spend a lot of time asking God for things and praying about things, and then God brings them or brings some answer, and we don't spend as much time thanking him for it after the fact as we did praying for it at the beginning. God says, I need to create an environment of worship where you realize that everything you are and everything that you have is because of me. And so when you receive things from my hand, make sure that before you start to enjoy it, you're thankful for it. You have gratitude for it. That's what worship is. Now, I want to switch for just a few moments to what does this whole festival teach us about our God? Well, remember, first fruits was about the promise of a harvest. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And God said, oh, and by the way, you, you can have, you can trust me that if you give me the first fruits, there's going to be way more to come. So it's the idea that we worship the God who is always enough for us. He is our all-sufficient source for everything that you and I will ever want or ever need. It can be found in God. In fact, keep your finger there in Leviticus 23. It's the only place we're going to turn this morning, but this was so good, I want you to lay your eyeballs on it yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. In fact, this verse is so good, we're actually going to refer to it next week and next week's message as well. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Paul talking here about giving, but notice what Paul says in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because, notice these next three words, you have enough. Oh, let's go five words of everything. In every way, let's keep going then, seven words. At all times, let's go ten words. You will overflow in every good work. God is able to his people to make all grace overflow to us so that we will have enough of everything in every way at all times. Our God should be worshipped because he's a God who is enough for his people. And in him, we will always find enough for everything that we need in every place and in every way. There's nothing that we need outside of God, and everything that we do need can be found within him. Because if we're looking to him to provide for the truly what we need, we'll get it from him because he's the God who's enough. In fact, in just a few chapters later, you know the very famous story where Paul has the thorn in his flesh, and he says, God, please take this away. And God says, I'm not taking it away. It's better for you to have it, but I will give you my grace because my grace is what? 
sufficient. It is enough for you. God is always enough for his people. There is never a time, there's never a moment in our lives, there's never a situation that comes into our lives where we look to God and go, God, you're not enough for this. No, just the opposite. Anything you and I go through, in any place we go through it, with whatever we're having to deal with, we can always, with confidence and hope, look to God and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know this about you, my God, you are enough for me so first fruits we worship the God who is enough for us go back to Exodus chapter 23 we also worship the God who gives his best to us why did God demand offerings that were of great worth and value that were the best that the people had because God already did that and God was already going to do that in fact the greatest example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ God gave his best in his son Jesus to us there's nothing better that God could have given there's nothing of greater worth or value than the Lord Jesus Christ and God gave us his son. And God simply says, I have given you the best of everything that I, I am and have. And, and, and what I have waiting on you that you're going to be able to experience and enjoy for all of eternity is the very best that I, God, could create for you and have for you. And it's reserved up there for you. I'm giving you my absolute best. I'm holding nothing back. And so God says, I simply want my people to be like me. When you come to me, I want you in worship to give me everything, to give me your best, because it's an acknowledgement that I, God, have given you my best. No wonder Paul said to the Romans, Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not, along with him, freely give us all things? Paul said, God already gave us Jesus. It, why do we think if God was not willing to, to give us Jesus that he's not going to meet the rest of our needs when he's already met the greatest need of our life, which is the need of a Savior? How shall he not, along with Jesus, freely give us all things? He did not spare his own son. God gave us his best. Always, always. But then don't miss this as well. If you go down to verse 14 and you read about the fact that then the people were to bring the offering of your God to him on this day, very interestingly, the words bring the offering speak about a coming near to God, to be in intimate proximity to God, which, by the way, again, was always God's heart. Even if you look and ever studied the layout of the tabernacle, where the tabernacle was there with the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God with his people, and on the north side would be three tribes, and on this side would be 
three tri tribes in the south and, and so that, that there was really no one too far away from God and that God was in the very center of the camp of Israel and everybody was sort of huddled around God. God always meant for it to be that way. God wants to be with his people. He desires to be close to us. In fact, God throughout history has always made a way for his people to be near to him. So another reason why I think we should be so energetic and enthusiastic and willing to worship God is not only because he's the God who is enough for us and not only because he's the God who gives his best to us, but he's the God who desires to be near to us. That we never are alone. Even if we feel we're alone, we're never alone. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, and then God goes a step further. In the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he placed God within us. So God's like stuck with us. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, God is stuck with each of us. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. He is with us through everything and anything. He's with us to the very end. Why? Because God wants to be near his people. And God has done everything to make sure that we are as close to him as possible. And that's what worship is all about. Worship is about wanting to get closer to God and being near to God and, and, and can't wait to come into the presence of God and say, God, I know you want to be close to me. Guess what? I want to be closer to you. And so, God, I'm just going to keep pressing in and leaning into you. And what's amazing about that is, and I'll just use myself as an example. I certainly won't bring this upon you. There are times where I don't even want to be with me. Right? I, I don't even like myself sometimes. Yet God's always there with me. Think, what a God. What love for me that he's with me even when I don't want to be with me. Because he wants to be near. And that's why the offerings. Because the offerings were an acknowledgement of sin's seriousness of sin's pervasiveness and of the cost that God would go through eventually through his son Jesus Christ to break down everything and bring us as close as possible to him. And we'll talk more about that when we study the Day of Atonement. We honor God as God's people when we are willing to bring our first fruits into the house of God. I'm going to ask you today, before we end with our worship time with God today, are you willing to bring your first fruits into the house of God? Do you have anything or anyone to wave before the Lord? Because if nothing else, hopefully our time in worship today and our time in the Word today has maybe just reawakened our sense of awareness of the fact that, wow, God, everything that I am, the life that I've had up to this point, everything that I've ever had, it's all from you. And therefore, God, I just need to acknowledge that. 
I, I need to thank you for it and, and have a heart that's filled with gratitude and appreciation because, God, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even exist. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be saved. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a, a home in heaven to look forward to. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have forgiveness of sin. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a savior. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a helper. I, I wouldn't have a high priest that's there for me at all times. I wouldn't have an intercessor. I, I wouldn't have anything, God, without you. I wouldn't have my brothers and sisters in Christ. I wouldn't have a church to attend. I wouldn't have any hope in this life. I wouldn't have any joy in this life. God, it's all because of you. Yeah. Would you stand with me? God, your word says, through him, Jesus, let us, God's people, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to you, acknowledging your name, the fruit of our lips. God, we have that opportunity right now as God's people to offer our sacrifice of praise to you, God, to worship you, to give you our best to acknowledge that everything we are and everything we have comes from you. And to not only dedicate what you've given us back to you and say it's all yours because it came from you anyway, but to dedicate ourselves back to you and say, God, we are all yours, God. Because everything we have and everything that we are is all because of you. God, would you move in this time of worship as we wave our first fruits offerings up to you today, God? And if nothing else, God, would you not only use this time of worship to maybe be a dedication or rededication of ourselves and all that you've given us back to you, but God, may it be a time where we count our blessings once again. Where our thankfulness and gratitude for all that we are and all that we have, Lord, starts to fill our hearts once again. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we worship today, First Fruits was not only about offering our best what is of greatest worth and value. First fruits also speaks to us about the beginning, that first step. And so maybe here today, this time of worship and this time in God's word could maybe be a spark in your life to say, God, I'm, I'm taking a first step in some way more towards you today. Maybe there's something that you've heard God say and you say, God, I'm taking a step into what you have for me and maybe where you want me. That's also part of first fruits because it's just the beginning. But we all have to start somewhere, right? There has to be a beginning. And so maybe for us as a church even, maybe today marks a new beginning for us of just 
creating that environment and atmosphere of thanksgiving that no matter what happens out there in the world, that every Sunday, every Wednesday, when we flock in here, we are coming in filled with thanksgiving to God. Because everything we are and everything we have comes from him. Would you join us as we worship the Lord this morning? <laughs> 